This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's going on, everybody? This is the Full Blast Podcast, and I'm here with my buddy. It's Keith. Keith Johnson, a.k.a. KJ Sawdust. How are you, Keith? You know, Jeff, I was thinking about that question because most people would say, oh, I'm great or good. And I got to tell you, I'm adequate at this point. I, I'm fine with uh, adequate. You know, just went through the, the weirdest holiday season ever um, with this really? pandemic. I hadn't seen uh, my mother in a year. And <laughs> literally, as we picked her up from meeting her halfway in Connecticut, we were all masked up and we got our COVID results in the car ride. Um, and we're all negatives. So we're able to actually enjoy Christmas, but mm. you know, just started my new business on Monday. So, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, why not? So, you know, I'm basically soiling my drawers by the minute. <laughs> Congratulations. I mean, not about the soiling the drawers. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> this pandemic has, has made a lot of people have to make a lot of hard decisions. Yeah, well, this decision, you know, was to start my own business was was kind of forced as I was, you know, was laid off back in, gosh, October, I guess, from my my day job. So, I mean, I'd always said if anything happens there, you know, luckily for me, I have something to fall back on, like woodworking. And I have, you know, a good momentum going with YouTube and working with sponsors and everything. So I had some something really good to fall back on. Um, but it, you know, certainly wasn't planned. I was kind of thinking right. maybe a couple of years out, you know, it was cause my business, I was in the cosmetic packaging business. So as this pandemic hit and cause we were mostly cosmetic sampling. So you have things going to magazines, you have people coming in stores, you know, they're not doing that anymore. So that business right. just kind of is dwindling. Um, and you know, my company just decided, you know, we're not gonna, we're just going to get rid of this segment of the business. And I mean, luckily we, we did, we had some notice, we kind of saw it coming and, and everything. So it wasn't like you walked in, like some people you walk in and the doors are locked and you're like, what the heck's going on here? Um, yeah. So, you know, we were fortunate that way, but still it's, uh, you know, get your shit together, gotta create a business like online with the government, with the state and bank accounts and, you know, all these things that you have to get in order to start a business. and right zero experience so it's been learning the whole time luckily i have a good accountant as well who's been helping me out along the way but you know every day i'm talking to people like you my friends woodworkers who own their own businesses like learning something different it's like oh my god my head's just spinning well you and i talked over the summer about this i think you gave you know you'd kind of like mentioned that this was possibly in the in the in the cards and we you and i've been friends now for for a bit and um i think that this is one of those things there's a there's a slight similarity between what you went through and what what you're going through and what what possessed me to make my mm -hmm. business and i don't think that i think that you're on a better footing than most because number 1 kj sawdust is a huge you're a, you have a huge following on on instagram mm -hmm. and youtube you make beautiful videos i love i love your videos i love your whole style and, uh, you know, we've been, like I said, we've been friends. When I had started this business, it was on the back of, I had worked in mm -hmm. metal shops. And then 
the last metal shop I was in, I was not happy because it was just like, it was a uh, chop, chop, shop. I know a chop shop, but I used to call, we call them like, you know, chop, chop, because you have to work fast. It was like crazy deadlines and spaghetti railings, which are like, you know, just quick, 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 get them in, get them in, get them out. We were building stuff for, for, for unions to install and we were installing ourselves and everything was just like, it was the, the, the pace was too, I just didn't like, it. I mean, it was just too intense. I mean, I learned a lot from it, but it was too intense. I got asked by a, a friend to uh, be a fine cabinet. This is now the only reason why I have any, I see what you're doing is because I worked for a fine, a fine woodworker for a few months and I'd never done before. And he said, hey, look, look you, you, you can measure <laughs> and you can, you know, you know, metal work is, metal work is, you know, tight tolerances. So I'm, we'll make it happen. I did learn a lot, but it was, the problem was, and as you probably know with small businesses, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm of the age where I'm like, I'm not getting paid on the table. I need, I need a, uh, I need to get paid correctly. And I want my social security put in and I want my 1095 and 1095, 10, 10, I'm thinking about a steal. <laughs> my W2, I'm thinking about, the 1095 is a knife steal. So my, I want my W2 and everything like that. And, and what happened was it became too expensive for him to, to yeah. do it. and. I ended up, it was, it was a sad situation because I wish it had not been the way it was, but I did learn a lot from this guy and, um, it, you know, it was one of those things that forced me to address, I got to work for myself. And the other thing is the difference between you and me is I had a kid, I have right. a kid at the time, my kid was like four or five, five or six. And, you know, we did need a degree of, you know, um, backup for when she went to school, when she didn't go to school and, and stuff like that. So I was able to turn my shed into a shop and then I started, I started actually helping knife makers, uh, a bladesmith named, uh, Matt Paul over at my buddy, John Ledford mm -hmm. shop. We're doing bladesmithing classes and I started making it myself and I was able to kind of do it on my own time. I was forced into it to a certain degree. And I think that there's a lot of people kind of similar into your situation where, all right, here's the, ch here's your chance, you know? Here's our chance to kind of like, it's either this or, you know. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's, I, I always said to myself, if I get laid off, like I'm going to give this a go, give it a try. You know, I'm at that age where I'm probably not going to get this chance again. Um, where, whereas if, you know, if it fails, cause it, you know, I'm not going to be like, sit here and say it can't fail. It's never going to fail. I'm not going to let that happen. It, it could, like, it just could. I don't know. You know, I, right. I can't control YouTube could full tomorrow and i got nothing over there and then i gotta like try to build furniture for a living which you know i mean you, it could be worse i mean you could have a huge following on parlor <laughs> <laughs> if you're all you had every all your eggs in the parlor basket yeah. i would uh you know i'd send you some a uh, life preserver <laughs> i mean <laughs> anything could happen so i um right. you know if things just don't happen to work out there's still time i'm still young enough in my business or in my you know sector of the business where I could go back to work and hopefully by then you know things are picked back up and you know it doesn't have to be a cosmetic packaging it's you know I was in printing before so anything in that uh in that business I could get back into um you know back to a corporate job and just do this as a hobby so there's still options there and I'm, you know I guess that's what kind of um is a bad thing sometimes it's good to have no safety net like to fall back on because yeah. it really makes you pull up your bootstraps and get to work and be like, if this doesn't work, then I'm in trouble. But 
So, but I'm still, I, you know, I never wanted, you know, I know a lot of people like wanted to have their own business and work for themselves, like, and not answer to the man or anything. I like, <laughs> I like having a, I like yeah. being told what to do sometimes here, you do this task. Right. Okay. No problem. Like as an employee, my goal was always for my boss to tell me that I make his job easier, you know, right. cause any, any time like I've had people under me and you, you don't have to worry about them. They just come in, they work, they, they go above and beyond. They don't give you any, any shit, but like, as far as human resource problems and personality problems, like those are the best employees. Like it's almost yeah. like they just there and you don't even know it sometimes. Um, because you know, anytime you have people working for you, it's not getting the work done and getting the work throughput. It's dealing with personalities. Like everyone is a crybaby. Everyone has issues and problems and he got to come in 10 minutes late. And why can't I? It's like, you know, you become a, a therapist, like all the time, kindergarten teacher more than, than a manager. I was my boss's therapist in my <laughs> second old man, last metal shop. Seriously. I'm not kidding. I had a table and he put, he gave me a welding table. I had a TIG welder and a MIG welder. I had my own table. I could do my own job. I could, I was my own mm -hmm. spot. He would stop by all the time and tell me his problems. And I would do this. I'd be like, oh, that must be really hard. <laughs> I would, I'd be like, I'm not kidding you. And then the, and then I would listen. And then I did the, all the things that you, I learned about how to, you know, talk to listen mm -hmm. to people. And I was to shrink for quite a while. And they got to the point where the other employees were furious at me because they thought I was getting better treatment. Why is the boss coming up and hanging out with Jeff's mm -hmm. table all the time? And it was like, it was like I was getting preferential treatment because I was like the, th I was like the therapist. I actually, funny story, a real funny story. I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's, it happened. Um, uh, we got, uh, I got Craig. <sighs> so Craig's Craig of the Makery Network is sending oh, me texts. You know, God bless him. God bless him. Leave me alone. Is he man. listening in now? Podcast. Sending in? No, no, no. He's going to, he's going to edit this out. He's sending me texts. He wants to know what's going on. <laughs> so, um, he wants, he wants to know it. He's a Craig Lockwood is the greatest. He's the head honcho here at the Makery Network. And he and I text a lot and it's usually nonsense. And he was just, he, I think he wanted to know if Donald Trump had oh. resigned yet. So that's, that's all, that's all that was all about. But he, he should know that I'm here. So what I was going to say is back at the Center for Mental Arts, we had a guy who's a young kid. And this was the one, uh, this was one of the one hires that I was like slightly against. And the, one of the reasons why is, you know, when you just go to a blacksmith shop or you're applying for a job at the blacksmith shop, you're looking for what's my, you know, what have you, you're looking for, you're looking for someone who can weld or be a fabricator or, you know, do a, a little bit of stuff. And this kid, our boss at the time, uh, had, uh, had said, we found this kid who's going to come in to work for us. And, we, and John Ledford and I were like, well, what's his, what's his qualifications? He said, he, he, um, he's worked at the, uh, renaissance fair and we're like well, what and he's like oh, no 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 this is that's not a qualification <laughs> can't be the you can't be like the helper to the blacksmith at the renaissance fair and think that's going to be enough so regardless he was a good kid he was not the brightest kid in the world and he just didn't look like he was happy and he would come up to me and he would talk and, and was just very much along the lines of you know he wasn't he wasn't happy and he wasn't doing a very good job and, and it was fine we weren't like I'm not the kind of person, I'm not a yelling guy. I try to encourage and blah, blah, blah. And one day I'm welding and he just comes over to me and I'm doing some stuff. And I, 
I said, you know, you're a pretty young guy. You should probably try to find something that you really love to do. I said, you know, you should find something because he was miserable and he didn't want any good. And I, I just start talking to him like, you're young. You don't have anything to do. You know, 20 years old. Maybe you should travel the world, travel the country, you know, everything. This is a time for you to get, you know, find yourself and, you know, before you have to really get a real job and then get into life and stuff like that. I said, God, if I was like 18 years old, I'd, you know, 20 years old, I'd want to drive across the country, see the different, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we talk for five minutes and then he walks away. And an hour later, the boss comes down and he goes, what did you say to that guy? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, he just quit. And I said, no, you're kidding me. He's like, no, no, he's, he, he's quit. He's quit and he wants to go traveling or something like that. And I was just like, I don't know. I, didn't say anything. <laughs> I, was, I pretended I was just like, I don't know. A fucking kid. He's an 18-year-old kid. He don't, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. So I can understand that uh, dealing with people is tough. And I think, you know, maybe, I mean, you must have something and I as well, where like people just feel like comfortable talking, even if you just listen, like they just feel comfortable, like unloading on you. And even if you don't, yeah give any sound advice sometimes it's just but i mean you obviously did you kicked this kid out but uh you know sometimes people just need that ear to uh to listen to them and then just makes them feel better and all of a sudden you're like oh yeah no no you know i'm the greatest therapist in the world i did was listen i didn't say anything now that i think about it one of my favorite people is this guy named angel he used to work for me in this bakery and i had said to him there's more for this in your life than working here and he ended up now he's a detective in the New York City Police Whoa. Department. And his parents thanked me because they thought he was going to be like this, you know, loser in, uh, you know, reading comic books and like, you know, listening to uh, whatever he was listening to. And he's now he's a decorated detective. And now that I think about it, I've talked another kid out of going back, get, quitting his job and going back to architecture school. So if you work for me, I promise you, I will walk you, I will talk you out of it fast. I've, I've talked three people out of work to get a job. So it, it sounds like you and uh, Nick Angers have a lot more in common than you think. I mean, right? Wasn't he a therapist or uh, dealing with... That dude is... He wasn't a therapist. Or dealing with the, he yeah, was, kids, right? He was, he was like, he was working with kids who were like wards of the mm. state. And he really couldn't go into it because it's like, I mean, it, he, he's respectful for his, the people who were there. But when we talk, got off the air, I mean, he was saying it was as bad as you can imagine. And he was really there to kind of listen and, and make sure everything was okay. And it was really like, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience. He actually is, is probably one of the most interesting people I've mm. ever met and talked to. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I think that there is something to, to be said about just people want to be heard and mm -hmm. listened to. And especially nowadays, it seems as though nobody feels like being hurt. Yeah. You know? But but back to being back to being working at a job, I was such a I was I was I I don't like to brag, but I was a fucking good number two guy. Um and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed being in the sous chef position where you work under the boss and you you just try to be I exactly what you're saying is like you like to be tasked. I I enjoyed uh, being a number two mm -hmm. guy, I was a number two guy for a number of people, and I really kind of blossomed working for mm -hmm. somebody. I think it really was a really good situation. So I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I never had any grand visions of being vice president or president of any company. Like, I was quite comfortable middle management. Like, right. people reporting to me, but me reporting to upper management. It's just... You know, the the headaches and everything else that goes along with that, I just 
it wasn't for me. I mean, I, I'm not like, oh, punch in at eight o'clock, punch out at five o'clock. Believe me, there were many, many, many nights, midnight, one o'clock at the at the print shop. OK, and jobs on press. You know, you do what you got to do. But ultimately, yeah, that was I just had no visions of going any higher than I already was, um, which hmm. is not really what your boss likes to hear either. <laughs> it's like, oh, you don't have, no. You know. But I mean, you know, but you also need if you need some Indians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody can't be the chief. Yeah. And everybody you know? isn't um that career driven i mean i'm just not um you know some people hmm. like my wife is extremely dedicated to her job like nights weekends all the time she's accessible um to a fault um and it it drives her crazy though because she is mentally exhausted all the time um but she gives it her all like all the right. time um and, you know, and I, I used to just, I'd leave work and that was it. I would not, I didn't talk about work when I got, and it, it wasn't like I was going through, there were these problems all day long and I couldn't believe it. And my head was, it was just, when I got home, I didn't talk about work. I left it there. Um, sure. cause I just, I didn't want to talk about it. So I'd just be an ear for her problems or we'd talk about anything else, but yeah, never wanted to discuss work out of work. So that that brings me to how you became you're not just I'm not just having an interview with Keith Johnson middle management. This is <laughs> KJ Sawdust, YouTube and Instagram right, superstar. Right. I mean I want to know how how uh punch uh, 9 to 5 Keith turned into KJ Sawdust. Uh so when I I guess back in 2004 I was in New York City. Um I was working for this company in a print shop there and got laid off. So I moved back home to New Hampshire, moved in with my mother, and I started working with my uncle, who's a contractor, uh, North Shore Mass. And so he had like a three-man crew. Well, I was the third man. So three of us, I was a finished carpenter. We were building houses and and doing remodeling, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and any of the, the more fine woodwork, not even fine, I mean, but like built-ins and trim work and the more intricate projects he would always give to me. So that's kind of where I started developing the, the, uh, had you ever done that stuff before? Well, you know, I started like most people probably is woodworking in, in eighth grade in shop class. And then from there I was in high school, I was working at a grocery store, just bagging groceries and what seemed like a much older guy, he was probably early twenties, uh, was bagging groceries with me. I'm like, what are you doing working here? Like, for extra money. It was five bucks an hour. He goes, yeah, you know, I just work here. I run my, I have my own little, um, construction business that I, I work out of by myself and I just do this for extra money. So during summers, I started working for him. Like we're just ripping roofs off and replacing windows and doors and little things, decks. And he let me kind of use his shop. So I started tinkering with furniture a little bit down there. And then on Christmas breaks, I would, I would work with him as well. And then when I come back from college, so I never had my own shop at that point. Um, and then when I graduated college in, what was that? 98 or 98. Um, I was living in Maryland and I got moved, transferred to New York city in 99. So obviously not a shop in an apartment in Manhattan. I was there for five years. So then when I moved home and started working with my uncle, that's where I started buying tools and building up a shop in my mother's basement. <laughs> um, and I started to take some commissions here and there. And what's odd is probably, 
I mean, after working for four years for my uncle, which was great. I love my uncle. Um, you know, he's one of these guys where you, you can be so frustrated with something and then he'll walk in and just instantly put the calm over you. You know, he's just one of these guys that never gets upset and just methodically thinks through a problem. Um, that's a good person. Yeah. That's Nick. That's Nick right. Alger. That's what he used to say. He's never, never, he never panics anymore. And I just respect that so much because that's not me. Um, <laughs> but we were, we were working on this house on, uh, out in Ipswich, which is right on the water on the Atlantic. And, um, it's freezing. I'm up on a on a, a new garage that we had just built and I'm laying shingles and I'm it just hit me. I'm like, I didn't go to college for this. Like it you know, I didn't go to to be swinging a hammer like this. Um right. you know, because yeah, sometimes I'd be doing a built-in inside, which is great, but then I'm up on a roof or I'm you know, putting up siding like it just there was too much variation in what I was doing and it just so happened right. I got a call from my old employer like within weeks of that revelation and they asked me to come back and work in new jersey and i said yes so but where this leads to is so as taking that job in new jersey we moved to connecticut which was kind of like an hour and 15 minutes away and we're in my um we rented out a house from my sister and you were yes, in old greenwich right. connecticut that's my where my family yeah grew i mean up. it's where my mother grew up in uh in old greenwich I mean, it's connecticut. a beautiful off, area off the you know, way, way above yeah. our pay grades. We were just very fortunate oh. to, um, that my sister Dude. was renting, was able to rent her house to us, but that's where I really started building the shop and building furniture for the house and for people. And it was at that point where I, I don't even know how I got on Instagram. Um, like most people just probably heard about it. And I went on there and I found this network of woodworkers, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. You just kind of post some some stuff um, and people respond and you start making friends. And and it, so at first it was just pictures. And then I don't know how I got into posting videos, but I remember the first one of the first videos I posted, like got a ton of views. And it just I mean, you know, it just gets you pumped up a little bit. That adrenaline gets flowing a little bit like, wow, this is cool. So you just start making more and more. And I had no background in film or cinematography i was shooting everything on my phone which back then was what mm. like a seven iphone seven or something um but the community because normally you know woodworking knife making i mean it's a very solitude a very solitary activity it's you in the yeah. shop with your tools building something so to have that network now that social media network where you can post things and people interact and you can bounce ideas off each other and, hey, have you tried this? And seeing things like that I'd never seen before, techniques and, and different styles of of, um, of woodworking and furniture. It's just like I was just blown away by everything. And I got caught up in it like big time, big time. Really? And, I, you know, I had some momentum with some videos and I just started posting videos all the time. And they were just blowing up and, my you know, the followers were pouring in. And, uh, it was just, it was a high to be quite honest. So every day you'd wake up and see how many did, how many views did that, that video get? Um, so it was just, it was something to, to occupy my mind and something else to do while you're building furniture. It was like just a, um, kind of like an aside or a little, little piece to go along with it to make furniture making that much more fun. And 
That it definitely is. That makes it much more fun if people are like cheering yes. you on. Yeah, and everybody is so supportive. I mean, believe me, you get you know the trolls too, but they're few and far between. Um, on yeah, Instagram, yeah. Um, but YouTube, YouTube is. Um, I I don't get that many over there either yet. Um, huh. Surprisingly, um, but you know, and you, I, I just. <laughs> I, I, I got to go back to like what my old boss used to tell me is like when you, when you're hit with something like that is respond, don't react. So mm. I got to kind of step back and cause as soon as I read a comment, I just want to fire right back. Like with all, with guns blazing. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, I find if I just, just wait and think about it, that I can come up with something a little bit more witty yet stinging back at them, you know, cause yeah. I, it's really tough to just say, okay, thanks. Have a great day. And, you know, kill them with kindness. Like as much as my brain tells me to do that, I can't, <laughs> I got to throw in a zinger or something sarcastic or snarky in there. Uh, that's just more fun for me. And you're, but you're very I clever. try to be, but sometimes, yeah, the anger will take over. And uh, then I end up just blocking that person and deleting all the comments. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, you know, it's, this the whole YouTube thing. I'm I'm this whole this whole the full blast podcast has been becoming my personal like investigative. Like I'm weaving all the different people I've been interviewing together and like taking points. And I've been talking to a lot of YouTubers and I'm starting to mm -hmm. learn about I mean I don't I've never I only I've been involved with one YouTube video and that's enough for me. I'm I, I don't I do not I when I was a kid if I was twenty if I had Instagram and YouTube when I was 20, I would be fucking beyond Alex mm -hmm. Steele level. Good looking kid, got a lot of right. spunk. You know, I got like, you know, I could have totally taken a taste of that shit. Good looking too at 20 years old. Right forget about it. Now it's like, you know, I've, 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 I'm all wasted away. <laughs> I'm not wasted away. I'm all spent. I'm all spent. I got big, I got eye bags. The reason why people think I look like Vince Vaughn is because I have a high forehead. I'm losing my hair and I have fucking <laughs> eye bags. I look like shit. I am not meant for YouTube. I'm not meant. For but um, what's interesting to me is talking to like, especially when he talked to you, talking to Jesse, you had the last episode and Alex mm -hmm. Steele, the whole concept of at first I thought, well, these YouTube videos, I mean, you have to deal with these, you have to deal with awful people and they're terrible things that they have to say. But all of a sudden it's like engagement is so valuable now. Yes. And What's interesting to me, and especially now within regards to what's going on, I made a joke about Parler uh, being shut down for the most part and, you know, these ads and, and how, you know, social media works. These the engagement, engagement being, you know, you, you know, somebody says something shitty to you and then you kind of set light them back up and they light you back up and YouTube or what's referred to as the I guess I'm assuming it's the algorithm that they they see that engagement as a degree of currency. Mm -hmm. And then that's what makes, you know, that kind of engagement makes people um, kind of uh, what, what makes YouTube kind of suggest to other people. And it's interesting. This is completely news to me. And I am a, I have, I listen to podcasts and, you know, nowadays, especially, you know, if you're doing a podcast a lot, you got to, you end up having to talk about social media because social media is your marketing mm -hmm. department. I hear a lot of people talking about the algorithm the algorithm the algorithm and when i hear that my eyes glaze over i'm a simple simple person and i don't 
if I'm not interested or I don't understand it, I'm, I just like, it's like, it's enough already. So when I hear somebody talking about the algorithm, I'm just like, what are you, a backyard Einstein? Come on, man. You're not, <laughs> this is a math class. What's the fuck up with it? And so, but now I'm, I'm you're starting to read about how I, I follow, you know, who's interesting. One of the most interesting guys in the world right now, is, is, as far as I'm concerned, is Sasha Baron Cohen. He talks about how the Borat mm -hmm. and Bruno and all Ali G and how he talks about how the algorithms in YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and uh, push, you know, hate speech and push people towards these groups that they they might not normally go to. Or it, it almost is like it becomes the engagement be, feeds the algorithm, which pushes people towards these things. I find it to be fascinating. You know, I, you, you know? can't beat the algorithm. I mean, you can, you know, all yeah, yeah, man. yeah man, yeah, man. That's a totally Anthony from Opie and Anthony mind right there. We're going to be doing a lot of Opie. It's my control, man. The algorithm, man. We'll do so. But P.S. Keith and I are huge radio guys. We were huge Opie and Anthony fans. So there's going to be a lot of those quotes coming out. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, sometimes you just can't explain it. Um, you know, on Instagram with the algorithm, you know, it was for a while there, it was pretty, I mean, you be consistent, you um, make sure in the first hour you respond to all your comments so that, you know, they see engagement is up, um, post at certain times, you know, all these things. And it worked. you could, I could do that and I would be successful. Someone else would do the exact same thing and not be successful. So it just mm. so, I don't, you know, I attribute a lot of my following on Instagram to these bot accounts, these repost accounts that will take a video and see it did well. And then they'll post it on their account. And if they do it right, they give them you credit and then people see that and then they come and follow you. So huh. we, we knife makers hate that. Black list of knife makers. We well, hate now I now it's I like really war, war now I them. really despise it um, because these they're trying to build their accounts on the back of my hard work and of your hard work right. and everyone else's hard work. Um, so it's frustrating. And the, in in woodworking, there's just a, there's new sites that new accounts that pop up every day, um, reposting all these videos and. They're kind of they've learned to to credit whoever the video they take, um, but they do it like so far down in the comments that it's negligible. Right. Like I've said, I've approved a couple anything. people. Like they've said, can I? If they ask me, sometimes I'll say no, but sometimes I say yes. But my name has to be the first words in the post because otherwise, you know, you know, in fair. a totally fair that way, people see it. Um, but again, I don't want these accounts. You, uh, people comment on your videos that are on different um, pages and they're making all these great comments and <laughs> the guy doesn't even respond and it's like uh, do I even go over there and answer these questions that's my video <laughs> yeah no, so you, you just block them what yeah. stinks is like Facebook and YouTube are phenomenal at copyright infringement they're are they? unbelievable like and I don't understand because Facebook owns Instagram so why like you have to I mean, you have to go in and kind of register a complaint and all that. But every time I have Facebook and YouTube, that video has been taken down that day. Hmm. And I actually had YouTube now is 
up their game, whereas they sent me an email the other day and said, hey, we noticed someone posted this video and it's yours. Do you want us to take it down? I was like, yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't have known that it was that it was out there unless someone told me. I mean, that's the good thing also right. about having a lot of friends and followers is they see your stuff being posted everywhere and they'll tell you, like, hey, I saw this over here and just so you know or whatever. So you can go yeah. and try to go after those people. You know, Instagram, I'm sure you get it, too. It's like you report someone for spam or whatever. And then like six months later, hey, Instagram has updated your request. <laughs> you know, we've right. taken this account down because it violates our guidelines. I think that I think the social media is going to change in a very interesting way. Probably I'm I have a feeling it's not going to be the way anybody wants. Especially nowadays with I mean now right now this is um this is Monday after the insurrection of mm. the Capitol. Uh so tensions are high. People are looking towards um you know, people are parlors for the most part gone uh people, all these People are mad because they're losing their followers on Twitter because they're getting rid of uh, neo-Nazis and all right. these groups. What's interesting, I was listening to, I think it was listening to, I try to listen to, I try to listen to everything with a little bit of, with a little bit of grain of salt. And, and I always listen to people in regard, you know, news. I don't watch it. We actually listen to all my news. I listen to news on Sirius. So like I'll listen to cnn or msnbc or fox or i listen to all those guys I, because i like the broadcasting and i'll it, listening to is a little bit easier but, but you can you can hear people's slant you can hear the direction that they're going you know you know when you're listening to don lemon he's not going to say anything good to donald trump you just know it i mean it's fine you listen to it you understand whatever i'm interested now in what people are starting to look at uh with you know they they, they banned uh trump right. from twitter banned uh or they gave i don't know if they banned him from facebook or they're giving him or whatever but now that now you're starting to see how people are using these you know they're becoming their own you know news source and it'll be interesting to see how and this is also you know the big tech companies don't want to be the editors anymore they don't want to ever be the editors because all of a sudden you have to if they have to do the fact checking right. what's put up there it's it's like it's it's like an almost an impossibility so it's interesting because nowadays people are starting to look at social media, especially the news, and say, okay, well, is this verified? Do we have, you know, are we going to use the, the, the journalistic standards that we do in journalism? So, I mean, I feel like, I almost feel like we're at the cusp of the good times are almost over on social media and, and YouTube. And, and is that going to, is that going to be, you know, like, does that mean the money's going to go away too? No, right. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about YouTube. Um, I mean, I think that's still pretty strong. It's obviously my opinion, but uh, yeah, Instagram, Twitter. I can't stand Twitter. It's just I don't. I've I was on it years ago, and I just I can't keep up. Because um, I like, unlike you, I hate the I hate watching the news. I never watch the news because um, I just don't want to see all the bad stuff that's going on around me. Right. I had total head in the sand. Um, I'm in my right. own little bubble, um, you know, when, with this whole election and everything, you know, I've been keeping tabs a little bit. I mean, it's kind of, was kind of hard not to the other day. Hard not to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hard not to. And, but I really try on a regular basis not to watch the news because it's just depressing. And, you know, I don't need anything else bringing me down at this point. I, I gotta tell you though. Because I'm like, radio has been my favorite thing for my mm. whole life. 
I used to listen to everybody. Like I love to listen to not only Howard Stern and Open Anthony. I loved New York sports radio. Mm. I didn't, I couldn't understand what they're fucking talking about. But Mike <laughs> yeah. and the Mad Dog, listening to Mike and the Mad Dog, was the greatest of all time. But I also back in the day I used to listen to Sean Hannity a lot, and I listened to him because I liked his delivery. As a broadcaster, he's extraordinary. As a, as a, these guys, the real broadcasters, the guys, real radio guys, their broadcasting ability is extraordinary, and they use it for whatever they all find a bit you know like Mm -hmm. glenn beck and even even alex jones alex jones was a you know glenn beck and alex jones were fucking z morning zoo guys i mean not on z100 but that style of morning zoo stuff and then they found their bits and then they used their broadcasting ability to kind of like to help it along i mean you you talk to you see any of the major guys on news now they all started in radio so for me i loved listening Mm -hmm. to the radio I, I used to listen to a lot. Of, I still listen to NPR, even though it's the worst broad. If you're a bad broadcaster, go to NPR because they're hiring. They're <laughs> hiring. It's the most boring shit you've ever heard of, but it's important to listen to right. all of it. But I'm fascinated by how, um, well, I don't know, I was interrupting you, but I was basically saying I listen to, I, I like to listen to everybody. I love it. I love listening to broadcasters in general. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh. Before he was, ter- I mean, terrible, terrible. I did too. You know, he's still a great broadcaster. I mean, know? back in, you know, I had, was heavily influenced by my father in high school. He was, you know, very Republican conservative. So yeah, it was Rush Limbaugh had his book and everything, listening every day to that. And I just, as I got older, I just got less and less politically interested. Um, With yeah, reason. It's just, I don't know. Too divisive yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, even my, <laughs> so I was in, it was in the finals of my high school oratorical speech contest. And my topic was basically the spotted owl in the Pacific Northwest was cut the trees down. Right. It's a friggin' owl. Who cares? <laughs> and, you know, I am completely on the opposite end of that now, probably. But, you know, I lost because it was so, like, controversially a uh, political um right so it's funny to kind of look back and see where my head was at then versus now where i'm much more moderate and um kind of sensitive to things these these guys are so persuasive they're very persuasive and they make they they've learned how to do i like to say mind control Mm -hmm. and i and, and i appreciate their ability to do it I would say one of the bigger influences in terms of radio, in terms of actually even now what I do now on podcasts is Don Imus. And I know that he was not a good dude. I know that he had, he wasn't the best of them, but he had a delivery and he was able to kind of do, you know, conservative and, and, and more Republican stuff, but he was able to kind of like slip into like, you know, 1970s rock and roll. And there was something about him that I always kind of like appreciated as a, a radio guy. Yeah, when we talk about like Opie and Anthony and like people don't even realize, I think when, you know, Opie especially where he can just, you know, and Howard's the same way where you can start an interview and go in all these different directions, left, right, but still come back, keep coming back to where you started, like in just keeping things in line and in rhythm like it's very difficult to do. Cause like anytime you have a conversation with someone, like you'll go in 10 different directions, but when are you ever coming back to where you were like tying it all together? Right. But they just have that right. innate ability to do that. The best right. in the game. 
the best in the game. I Opie and Anthony, and I've actually talked to Opie. I was actually yeah, supposed to be on right. this podcast. Oh, you were going to. In the spring. I have the DM to prove it. So, I, so I'm not going around. It was basically when my when my wife had COVID. I actually I gave a knife to um, our friend yeah. uh, Carl Ruiz, and he gave it to Opie. And I had a nice little conversation with Opie, and then I actually saw Opie at uh, Carl's uh, one of the remembrances for him. And you know, we talked. And he couldn't get me on. We did, it didn't work out, but it's just fine. She's 100 fine. But I, the years of listening to Opie and Anthony and the Opie Radio podcast was i mean allowed me and i'm sure it allows you and a lot of people listening to the show it's that keeping company and it's the regularity like the morning radio was one of those things that it just was like it was a comfort when i drove to the center for metal arts it was a 40 minute drive each way i could listen to opie and anthony when they were on uh k-rock and then by the time I was driving back, I would hear the replay on satellite. Right. <laughs> so I actually, I actually, by the time when I when I stopped the car at the shop, when I would turn it back on, the re, I would hit it just the right time so I wouldn't miss anything. So I get the replay in the afternoon on the drive home, and it made the drive so great, and it was super funny. And I remember listening to like if you want to go old school, the Opie and Anthony. I remember the Baby Bird episode oh, yeah. where they had the oh, egg nog challenge. Yeah. You remember the egg? <laughs> Dude, if the listeners of this podcast, uh, one of the greatest, craziest shock jock moments of all time was this was before Joe Rogan had a podcast, or I think he just started. And they had what was called the eggnog drinking challenge, where they had to do a shoot, sh- do a shot of like a half a cup of eggnog every minute. And as some of you know, you know, eggnog is pretty heavy. So these guys, well, the classic uh, Opie, uh, Opie and Anthony character, his name was uh, Pat from Munaki, was the winner. And he drank like 100 shots of, I mean, he ended up drinking <laughs> probably like a gallon and a half egg. Though. And then at the end, then Bill Burr was there and Joe, Joe Rogan was right. there. And then they did what they call the baby bird, where one of the interns le- leaned over and Pat from Munaki vomited all over his face. And I mean, it, 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 it was the most incredible, you can see it on YouTube. It was the craziest moment well, it in radio. Fake. It was coming out you like know, a fire hose. Like it didn't even yeah, look like possible. Yeah, like out of just like Stand by Me. Yes, you ever watched you're right. Stand yeah, by when the pie contest. Up. Yeah. But these are the these are the parts in radio that I don't think podcasts will ever get to because you you lose that you lose that live mm-hmm. ability. You know, you lose the where were you when during. I remember I was on I was on the Bear Mountain Parkway when they started to do the baby break. And it was, I remember that. I mean, I'll never forget it. The same thing is I was in my shop in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, when uh, Howard Stern talked that guy off the George Washington Bridge. So like when you listen to like live radio, sometimes you have these incredible moments where you know where you were at that time. It's, it's, and it's something that, you know, with podcasts are great because, you know, people are, you know, they, they're occupied, their time is occupied. Um, But uh, I I just, the whole thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm interested and worried about what's going to happen with social media and the internet in the coming, in the coming months, really. Well, it's scary. I mean, cause everybody has a voice, right? Everybody can put out their opinion and incite people. Um, right. And it's, you know, just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you have to say it. Like even, you know, we're talking about before on like Instagram and YouTube comments, like, do you feel better just saying I, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen? Like, does that make you feel better? Do you, you know, are you going to now go about your day feeling that much better because you insulted something that that I made and put out there and 
spent all this time editing and building and put out there. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, there's plenty of things that I don't like, like a freaking epoxy river right. table. I, they should all burn in hell. I, I heard you say, <laughs> I heard, I've heard, I heard you say that. I, I think it was on your live stream this past oh, week. You right. said you don't like, you said, you said it's wood and, and wood and plastic between I mean, it. What the hell? That's all you're doing. You're you know? taking a completely, uh, non-biodegradable, uh, substance plastic. Right. And like that, that stuff is not cheap. I mean, my God, like I don't, you know, right. but gallons and gallons and gallons of it and just pouring it between two pieces of wood and slapping it on freaking metal table. Like, uh, but again, it's all preference. There's plenty of things that I like that others do not. Um, right. They're hot. It's, it's hot it is shit, so though. hot. Oh People my God. Like like Jeff stuff. Mack, if you don't know Jeff Mack designs, like he has built, he's Canadian. He's built his entire business around these tables and even he's like, yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to last. You know, I, I don't know if in 10 years these things are just going to fall apart or crack or whatever. But, I mean, they range from like ten to forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a table. Oh, my so, God. So, like, why wouldn't you? Like, if people are buying them, yeah, I mean, go for it. But. Well, you scared me, P.S., because some of my handles would be, would fall under river table quality. Because some of the handles that we get. Yeah. I got some, I love them. It's, it's stabilized yeah. burl and then they'll pour some resin on the side. It'll hook in, it'll kind of hook into the, the, uh, the end of the burl and you make some, you make some sassy handles with it. When you said, who knows what's going to happen? I was just like, yeah, who knows well, with what yours, is going to happen? Not, and number one, like with the epoxy on your knife handles, it's an accent. It's not like, it's just adding nice, like you said, like a little bit of flair to that and like eh. really ups it and makes it look pretty cool and it's another conversation piece now you're stabilizing that's, that's your really back pedaling keith you're no, you're really like, getting yourself no. out of that one i was ready to say you're right <laughs> well and you're stabilizing the wood so that wood's never going to move so you can wrap it in well, as much plastic as you want these tables are not you have wood that is constantly moving and plastic that isn't so you know right. what you're doing it's it's a solid piece forever you never you, know you would, I, I've had stabilized wood that has not been stabilized properly, and it kind of like well, yeah, yeah. Bit. I mean, if you don't get all the air out and you replace know. it with with the resin, then yeah, anything could happen. I, you know, that's one thing that's about the wood. You know, what you do the 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 fine woodworking, and it's it's so beautiful because it's all about this preparation. Mm -hmm. You're these joints and 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 all that stuff. It's it's the thought that all this, you know. 64ths and 30 seconds are 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 so it mean something and then all of a sudden down the line i hey, listen we were down by the jersey shore with this table and it like turned it turned different in the spring that would i don't think i could handle that it's very uh difficult like because i was last fall when i was after i got laid off i i took some woodworking classes at uh, the connecticut valley school of woodworking for six weeks and you know my teacher said choosing wood as a medium is a really dumb idea because it's like all it wants to do is move never wants to stay where you put it it, it um you know it blotches it checks it splits it it just does everything you don't want something that you're building to do um but you just find ways around it i guess um it mm. is frustrating i mean it's you know today i was putting this thing together and i noticed i didn't check the end of the board and there's like a little split in it there's a little crack in it and so you know I'll, I'll 
I'll put some epoxy. I'll do my own epoxy pour. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a river no. table, but it's, it's just a straight. hairline like a, like a drip. drip, an IV drip like a drip, in there. Like a drip out of a faucet, right? But it's, you know, that crack over time could literally just split wide open and end up with this gaping hole, this chasm there. So yeah. you have to stabilize that. But it, it's that's where all that preparation comes in is checking all your materials and all all the preparation ahead of time, making sure it's dry and milling it and letting it dry and then milling it again. It's yeah, it's brutal. And I, and then then all you get <laughs> I was I glued these things together and I stood it up and the clamp was just kind of top heavy and the thing fell over and I luckily oh, I no. caught it. But if I hadn't it would have fallen on the floor and the whole thing would have been dented and ruined after hours of preparation and and uh, joinery and gluing it together. It would have just been ruined. Whereas if it was steel, you know, you could you could uh, probably go in there and mend it much easier. Yeah, there, yeah, Keith and I were also before I did the full blast podcast. We were actually talking last year about doing a podcast together because you know, we talk a lot, and you also have a good radio voice, and we have good chemistry. And we were actually going to—it was going to be called, potentially called the Rusty Splinters Podcast. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. I don't—I don't know if I—I I don't know if you agreed to that name, but I think it was a work in it. progress. I think I liked it, yeah. but I thought uh, a couple of clever lads like us could come up with something even cleverer or more clever. But I do like M- it. much like the. Much like the podcast that you're on now, Shop Sounds right. Podcast. That's a great podcast. Yeah, that, uh, we're, you know, when you when we were talking about doing a podcast a while ago, and um, it just so happened that one of my other friends said, "Hey, you want to do a podcast?" And it it all happened at once. And for, I just looking back, I remember at that point in my life where my head just wasn't in it. Like I just wasn't in it mentally. I don't remember why or where I was, but it's like it just I just wasn't into it. So, you know, I said, you know, yours and the one we were talking about just kind of went back into the shadows. And then I said no to them and they got they got one together. So three of them. And so at last, I know why. I know why you didn't oh, want to do it. Tell. Oh, a lot of work. <laughs> well, that is one thing that is. It's too much work. That's why I I coerced Craig Lockwood into starting the Makery Network. So I wouldn't have uh, to do it. This whole network was based on but, my laziness. <laughs> well, <laughs> You got a good product out of true. it. True. It's hundred percent true. I said to Craig, listen, I, I said, this would be great. Blah, 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 blah. We do we get all these makers. They got to listen to something. And then, you know, you can just do the, do all the editing stuff, and the behind the scenes. And the, yeah, yeah. You do. Yeah. You just do the press. record. I just press record. I talk to my friend and that's it. That's, that's the only reason why I can do the downward spiral with Nico. Nico when we do the downward spiral, Nico had to do everything. It was a huge production and we loved doing it, but it was like work mm-hmm. for him. And now I'm like, dude, you don't have to do anything. You just show up. He's like, oh, so, so, so. <laughs> but now that's the, that's the same thing. It's being able to not have to do anything. And it's already going to, you know, this kind of doing this Monday, I'll shoot it off to Craig and then he'll throw in the, the you know, the ads, he'll stick the ads in wherever they, he's going to stick right. them in. And then uh, bingo, bango, bongo. I don't do anything. That's a beautiful thing. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to do anything either. Our uh, Nick on on our Nick Key, he's a, uh, you know, his full time job is he's a videographer for a huge mega church down in um, Kentucky. So, so Whoa. we record, you know, we record on Skype and send, you know, we record locally. Each of us, we drop our files in after the podcast at whenever we're done, eleven eleven thirty at night. He edits it then, and it's up the next morning. So it takes him like an hour and a half to edit it, you know, you know, but like you, we're not, we're not editing anything out. There's really nothing to edit out. He's just combining everything. And 
and putting it out there. So luckily, because I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that either. No, no, <laughs> do you, but she, but the thing is, you already have the editing experience because your YouTube videos mm. and your, your ASMR little shop video, you know, uh, uh, Instagram right. videos are so well edited. I would just assume that it would be easy for you. But he's using, they're using like a different, well, I'm sure, I don't know if he's using GarageBand or uh, something, Adobe, Adobe, for, I don't even know what the hell it's called, for, for sound right. editing. So it's a little that different than cares. video, but, right. you know, I, like you said, I don't want to, I don't want to do it either. Um, no. But what happened, they were, you know, when I said no to that other podcast, they got it together anyway. And then like a year later, the guy who started it backed out, but the other two guys wanted to stay in. And that's when they asked me to join and i said yes so that was i guess at some point last fall or before that yeah you, no i thought you started it i thought your first episodes were in oh, like maybe. may yeah, or june see, i don't even know yeah since we record every other week i guess it seems um doesn't seem that long ago i'm i finished the first episode i'm i'm a little i'm not irritated with you but i <laughs> wish i had known about it earlier because i would have like been a completely up to date because i liked the first episode was excellent, and I, and I really liked uh, the way you guys, all three of you, are together. It's a very, it's it's like the best part was. I mean, I'm talking about it. It's been the that's just the first episode. It could have been changed completely, but I like the fact that you're like we might talk about wood and we might talk about science. It's exactly the same that we do not go in. I with love it. that we started bringing guests on. Um, we've had two, maybe yeah, two guests on. So we've been we're like every other show we're going to bring a guest on, um, just to. To give people you know the opportunity to hear someone else or for us to actually maybe learn something too but yeah other than that right. it's we do not have a topic unless one of our patreon members or somebody asks like a specific question to give us uh, or crack yeah, the whip then we just <laughs> i want to know about river <laughs> table <laughs> now hop to well, it uh one of my co-hosts jason jason hibbs of bourbon moth woodworking who's has had you talk about youtube success all right so we last year in january i'm not sure how many he had like thirty thousand, maybe to start the year and he is almost four hundred thousand now oh in, my God. in less than what a year woodworking and he's the he's so damn funny and witty and uh it's just amazing what what this this guy can do um so yeah he's just grown exponentially and yeah, he's he's just a YouTuber now, full time too. Doesn't need to. Um, I mean, he was a full time furniture maker before, but now he just like I don't have to build anything for anyone. I can just build what I want, and YouTube's paying the bills pretty much. Aside, you know, besides sponsors and, and other things, but that's a Amazing. beautiful thing. I mean, that's you know, that's on the first episode. You guys were talking about that he turned his riding mower into <laughs> yeah. a tank. And I'm, th and you were, but the, here's the great part about, about podcasts is to be able to explain mm -hmm. it. And you guys were explaining it so well in my mind, I have pictured exactly what this tank looked like. It was a wooden tank shell built over this riding mower. And then when I went to the YouTube, I found his YouTube, I looked at the video and I was like giving you the golf clap <laughs> saying, you guys described it perfectly. You were describing the treads. The whole thing was amazing. He built up damn tank and he filmed it and hilariously and i'd love to talk to him about the, the, this particular video so with the name of what's the name of his youtube a channel bourbon moth woodworking he he made a uh he made a yeah. tank that covers riding mower 
And then one scene, I he drove through a, a wooden yeah. fence, and I'm pretty sure he loosened a couple mm-hmm. screws. I think he loosened a couple screws to just get through, but it was badass. It was awesome. And the question, and you, I give you a lot of credit too, because you asked him how it how it right. mows with the <laughs> with the thing in. And I could, you could tell it's just terrible at mowing now because the damn, he said it weighs like, he got like 500 pounds of right. wood on top of this riding mower. <laughs> I mean, the news came out and did a story on it. Um, I'm not, I mean, it was a big thing. And just his personality, how, uh, you know, he'll take a serious thing, but he'll put his own spin on it to make it, to make it funny. And he just, it's just him. And yeah, to who's, he literally took time out of his schedule. For, I don't know how long it took, like three weeks to build a tank. Yeah, he said three paint weeks. It, and, you know, he's got like a four or five-year-old son who was just loving every minute of it. You know, he the, the gun barrel yeah. was a potato gun. And, I mean, he did it right. And, yeah, the YouTube video, it's like an army helmet on. He was fully out. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It, it was terrific. It was great. I, mean, I could imagine those types of videos are the videos that, like, all of a sudden, like a production company will come over and say, hey, listen, do we have a deal right. for you? Is that that's the new thing now? Like I was talking to Jesse Oweta last week and, and we were talking about how, you know, because these street now with the pandemic and people aren't doing TV mm-hmm. shows and people aren't able to do movies as well. Uh, you know, Nico was just saying he's there the, to be in, in these movies. It's like it's an incredible expense to keep everything COVID right. safe. You get a guy like you get a guy like him who's got a good YouTube channel, and street streaming services are going to say, "Hey, listen, we'll just buy it direct." Yeah, I mean, it could definitely happen with him. I mean, he is that just kind of a natural on screen and and everywhere else. I mean, because we're in, you know, a lot of we're in a DM groups with people, and he'll just come in with these comments. <laughs> just oh, funny, yeah, he's funny. You know, you got all three. See, it's almost. The f- based on the first episode, it's almost bad that all three of you are funny because you kind of need someone to not be as funny because otherwise you're like competing for, right. for laughs. And now I have a question about now is he the guy who works at the mega church? No, the other guy worked. Nick works at the mega church. Nick's got some stories. <laughs> I don't know him. I'm telling you, Nick's got some stories. You know, I mean, it has to. There has to. Be. You can't work at a mega church. And it doesn't have to be lascivious. It could be like, uh, you know, I was going to the refrigerator and somebody ate my right. lunch. That's the stories. You, you want those kind of Seinfeld stories, you know, those like, uh, you know, like meaningless, nothing. Ugh, you know, I was in the mega church today and somebody took my parking space. That's the kind of, <laughs> that's the shit you want, you know. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's the reason why Seinfeld is as great as right. it is. Um, yeah, I'll have you to know? ask. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll make myself a note here on the next show. Oh, like Nick, no, we need a we need a church story. There's got to be some. Let you know, it's nonsense. Story. This is going to be some like you know, like you know how you say when when you would come home and you would leave all your problems at home yeah. at home or at work. I don't think I can. I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, leave it at work. Right. My bad. Sorry. That <laughs> was only to apologize to Mrs. Sawdust. <laughs> I didn't really mean to assert anything bad like that. But I could just imagine if if I were working in a mega church, coming home and and. Uh, uh, you know, I remember when I was in metal shops, we'd have to do these outside jobs and it was snowing and I'd come home and like, guys in the snow all day. I want to know the mega church. Pr- I want to make the, I want the mega church work problems. Well, for me, like I, and I, obviously I, sh- I shouldn't, but like, I always, 
kind of compare a mega church to this friggin' Scientology and these cults? Like, cause there's so many people and they're just like lemmings filing into this one person talking on stage. Like, first of all, begging for your money. And it's like, there's gotta be <laughs> some mind control going on there too. Oh, um, major mind control. But at the same time, I mean, they're calling it mega. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think it's like 14. I feel like yeah. you said 14,000 people, but is that right? Jesus Christ. I mean, they have a full-time. No, no, yeah. no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, they have full-time <laughs> cinematographers out. They have a TV show every week that they, it's, it's big money. So he goes to work every day at the church? Yeah. And edits video and um, whatever oh else they do, film stuff. And. Oh my God. That, I, I need to, I need to like get on your podcast and talk to him because I'm sure there's a ton of stuff to, he's got funny stories. I know he's got funny stories. I, my wife lives in in the middle of uh, outside of Madison, and they have this mega church. It's like the Black Raven or something like that. It looks like a corporate mm -hmm. office, but it's like magnificent. I mean, just a huge thing in the middle of a field, and and the sign says the Black Raven mega church. Didn't say mega church, <laughs> Black Raven church or something like that. And I'm just like that thing is crazy. That thing looks crazy. It definitely does not look. Yeah, it reminds me of like, you know, on, on, on the Seinfeld where he gets caught up with, or uh, Wilhelm gets caught in with the cult of the sunshine cleaners. Um, and, you know, oh, and, yeah. and George was like, why won't you try to recruit me? But they, they take Wilhelm instead. Dude, I tell you what, Sein, they're, they're, Seinfeld is, I mean, Seinfeld, in, in my opinion, Sein, the TV show Seinfeld and Howard Stern are very similar because they're all interested in these little mm -hmm. things. The reason why Seinfeld is as great as it is is because it really is about nothing. It's about nonsense, and but it's the it's the reality of it all. You know, it's it's the reality of these little things that show you interest. It's the same thing with Howard Stern. Like I've learned how to interview from Howard Stern, and what he does is he listens, and then he wonders, well, how would I feel about that? And then he responds like that must that must be terrible, you know. And then all of a sudden, the, the conversation becomes very interesting, but. This concept of Seinfeld is so fascinating because it really is about nothing on top of the fact that Jerry Seinfeld was the worst actor of all time. And that was what's so great. Like watching him almost break character all the time was just Terrible. fantastic. Like that was one of the most the best parts of that show for me was seeing him like on the verge of busting out laughing in every scene. And, you know, when I, I think for. Even the the biggest fans of Seinfeld out there, if you haven't lived in New York City, some of that stuff just doesn't just doesn't ring true. Right. Like I lived there for five years, you live there. So a lot of these places yeah. and just references like just make it that much better and that much funnier, more interesting. Um, when they're talking about these places, like, yeah, I've been there and I've I've seen that and I know exactly what you're talking about. But what's but it should but we got lucky that it it lucky that it went as long oh. as it did. When, you know, and most people caught it when it came into syndication, how many of her years ago, like guys like I was watching in high school when it went on the air in 1989. Huh. I was there right when it started. I, I don't remember. Uh, really? Yeah. Thursday nights. It was it was hmm. crazy. And then I just never, I think... never stopped watch. I used to record them and like 10 episodes in a row. I'm a VHS tape and just watch them constantly over. I recorded them on audio tape and listened to them in the car. I was just obsessed. Still am. Huh. Well, you listen to you would listen to it as an yes. audio tape. <laughs> that's a that's high level. <laughs> I, 
my old coworker uh, John Ledford was an extreme Seinfeld fan to the point where we could do trivia questions on which what's the name of his girlfriend in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really, I mean, it's incredible. But to to tape them and then listen to oh, him in the sick. car, yeah, that's so <laughs> sick. That's unbelievably sick. But at the same time, I listen to the news. I listen to TV news on the radio, so it's yeah. not that sick. What stinks is like my wife, she tolerates it, Seinfeld, but she doesn't really, because she, she gets so frustrated because she sees in the first five minutes how the three stories or the four stories are going to come back and, and, and meet up at the yeah. end, and it just bugs right. her. Um, really? Which, which... It's so know, clever. It, it's, it's been a topic of, you know, if we may have to split up over this, but I've, I've let it... Oh. I certainly um, hope that's not the case. Um, but you know, every, you know, everything else that's really, you know, that's cause that's my baby. That show it's, you know, from but top yeah. three shows is Seinfeld top gear, the UK version and the office. So for her, not to, which, which version of the office, the U S version. I know a lot mm -hmm. of people will turn their nose up at that, but, uh, you know, speaking of the top gear, um, British version, which is just unbelievable and now it's all like on amazon prime all those old episodes are back up but i was thinking of you the other day because i was watching one of one of my favorite old episodes where they have to build an electric car so here you have three guys a total motorheads gearheads petrol heads that they just want to go faster and more power and they've been tasked with building an electric car so the car basically looks like an aluminum lunchbox just like a square and they have to name it. And so they're sitting there thinking of all these cool names. And before they can even write it, um, Clarkson goes over there and writes Jeff on the side. And he's with a G-E-O-F-F. -F. Jesus Christ. <laughs> terrible name. Terrible name for a car. Well, that's what's so great about terrible it. Terrible name in general. That's funny. I never watched oh that show. Oh, my gosh. It, good? It's my number two show of all time. These guys are so really? damn funny. And... It's for some reason, like an American can say one thing and it won't be funny. Uh, a British person says the exact same thing with their accent and it's just funny it, to me. Dude, I agree with you. And these guys, they, I mean, they are extremely witty and funny anyway, but the things they do on those, sh on those, on all their episodes, the, the stunts they pull and the, 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 uh, the tasks, the, uh, these projects they come up with, it's, it's all brilliant brilliant i mean there's years and years of content um you know they were just they would go out and buy they'd have like five thousand dollars and you have to buy a car and they would they drove literally from the top of africa to the bottom and it's all their adventures along the way cars breaking down and this and driving through sand and mud and pulling you know the crew having to pull them out it just it's fantastic i'm gonna have to check that out i think you should i really think you should I you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. When you were talking about how English people say something yeah. that's funny, Craig, on Knife Talk, Craig Lockwood now, he's once in a while, I can get him to really mm -hmm. laugh. Yep. Like, and he sounds just like Ricky Gervais. <laughs> and as soon as he starts laughing like Ricky Gervais, I fucking lose my mind. <laughs> like, I, like, Mareka sits there and he doesn't know what the fuck we're right. laughing at. And I know exactly what we're laughing at. I'll say something and he'll lose it. And as soon as he'll lose it, I'll think it's Ricky Gervais laughing <laughs> and then I'll lose it. And then it's just like, and, and Marek will be like, what are you guys laughing about? And, and it's like, it's a totally like, we're total idiots, but it's, that's what I like. I like that stuff. Well, and now we're into on, on Netflix, like 
the Great British Baking Show, which, you oh, know, yeah. and I'd like to actually talk about cooking a little bit with you. But um, yeah, go ahead. So we're I mean, there's like 10 seasons up there. We've watched all of them. So 100 episodes. And, you know, British people, it's just it's they're just so polite. And yet they have all this this vernacular and this vocabulary that these words like they're just so funny. They're foreign to us, but yet they're funny. Um, and, you know, I see like getting back to cooking. So, you know, I see all you with the tails of the broiler and like you love cooking. You have right. a passion for cooking. Um, right. Like I hate cooking and I have to cook because my wife doesn't cook. (laughs) So to come up with like a different meal every night and a side dish and a main course and all this, I just, I hate it. And really, you know, I can see where you get it. Like, you know, you're, you're cooking with your daughter and you're teaching her and there's that connection and and the experience and it's, you sit down, I'll sit down and eat and it's fantastic. Oh man. I just want to, something quick and eat and just be done with it now i used to like kind of like cooking but it's like everything is a side dish like like you can't you know you know what i mean it's like you you got a main (laughs) dish like a meat like give me steak and then it's you know the potatoes have to have this and this vegetable has to have almonds in it and a lemon dressing (laughs) and (laughs) no almonds get rid of the almonds almonds are the worst in 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 main course in in food dessert okay but other than that get rid of the almonds well and now i have to you know because i've had some some kind of gut health issues so as of today i'm supposed to be starting an autoimmune paleo diet for six weeks which wow is extremely difficult for like me because like my staples are like almond butter and eggs and and uh, like you can't have those things um so what can you have I mean, you can have all meats and and vegetables, but it's no, no like additives. Uh, I mean, you can have some oils like avocado oil, olive oil, but yeah, no nuts, seeds, uh, wheat, grain, dairy, coffee. Um, It's, it's, it's brutal. And especially now, like when I'm home, like to go make a lunch, like what the hell do I have for lunch? Like normally I would just whip up some eggs or something, some eggs and i don't know an avocado you know or something but now it's like now every meal has to be planned again and it's just frustrating um but even even if i wasn't on this specialty diet like still just coming up with you know we we tried that like hello fresh thing which was okay but like we we really try to buy all organic stuff and that isn't and every meal on there is based around like rice or a potato (laughs) And so it's all based around a starch or a grain. So it just doesn't work. For for me, growing up, my dad did all the cooking. My mother was not good at cooking. So my dad really liked cooking. And then he ended up becoming, in his later in life, he, became, he because he was a winemaker and he was friends with so many different restaurant people and he was a mm-hmm. good cook, he actually got asked to be one of the pastry chef pastry cooks at the rainbow room at the ripe old age of 75. So he would go to the rainbow room at Rockefeller center every Wednesday. And he was in charge of making the banana nut breads from mm. the restaurant. So he would make like 50 or 60. He loved it. And they all thought he was d- the dad of the restaurant His 75 year old guy coming and making the banana bread. He loved cooking and he really made me enjoy cooking and i i enjoy it from the set for the sense of making something for someone nurturing them 
nourishing them. And now, with, and I've, so I've always been the cook. And the funny thing is, is my wife growing up, her mother, I don't know what happened. Her mother made it to the point where Hillary's just, I don't want this. I don't want to cook. And then her mother was like, well, what, what's going to happen to get married? He's like, I don't fucking need to cook. <laughs> so I went to culinary school while, right before we got married. And it was just like, she was just like, she was like snapping her fingers at her mom saying like, yeah, how do you like me now? So I always did the cooking and I liked it because it was, for me, I liked, I enjoyed, I got satisfaction from making something that my wife and daughter liked. And now, especially with the pandemic, my, my cooking has changed dramatically for the better. And one of the reasons why is because we're pretty, I mean, not completely, but we're pretty much plant-based. I mean, we do eat fish and we do eat shrimp, but I mean, that's about it. I mean, I don't eat, we don't, we cut chicken out like a year or two ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it got to the point where if I like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't eat, I like meat. I love meat. I'll I'll eat, I'll eat anything really. I I love it all. I don't, I don't call myself, I was just a vegetarian, um, four, five, seven, eight years ago. But I mean, I don't, I just, we just don't do it. I mean, the girls prefer it anyway. And, and I feel like it's made me a better cook Mm. in general. Um, but with the pandemic, especially in April when my wife had coronavirus and it was really right. bad, it was bad enough that like ambulances were called and we were, I would, there was a, there was like a four hour part of a day where I thought my wife is about to die and it was bad, real bad. So we used cooking as the, the comfort. So I would make everything. I'd make anything to make my, cheer my kid up. So we're making pizzas and making steaks and we're making, you know, she wanted ribs. I made ribs, anything that, that would kind of allow them to be, uh, you know, get their minds off of coronavirus or sickness or whatever's going on. And it got to the point where, you know, cause it was such a long stretch. I don't know about it for you, but for us, especially with my wife going to work every day and potentially being exposed again, bring it back every day. And, we, you know, I make the joke that we're COVID orthodox, but it's because a lot of it's because she's, she deals with, you know, sick people right. every day. She does COVID tests every day and, you know, we, we care for the people around us. So we're really, you know, keeping, you know, very, very away from everybody. Cooking became something for us that was this, it was, it was like a, it was like a, a an oasis in the day. And it became to the point where, Nowadays, we have our menu. We ch- we now we pick we 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 plan our menu out because I only shop once a week, mm-hmm. and it's like every day is very. And the girls have gotten so into the food that I've been cooking that it's for me. It's 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 great. I mean, it's like there's nothing better than it makes me feel like they value me being in the mm-hmm. house, and it's like they look forward to it. And now I, we get, I get pissed at them because they come in every so often and say, what's the ETA? What's the ETA? And I want to fucking kill them. I'm like, it's done when it's done. Why are you yeah. asking me that? Like, I mean, it, 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 to me, my, my stupid, crazy mind, I'm thinking to myself that they're thinking like, you know, speed it up, you know, right, cookie, yeah. get, get going. But it's really like they're fucking right. hungry. So I completely understand what you're saying. And I would imagine with your dietary, with your dietary restrictions, it is tough. But I, I had to get into the mind frame what it was. I love to make something for, you know, I've now recently come, you know, I text back and forth with the chef, Jacques Papin, who's like the father of, you know, basically, you know, French uh, culinary television. He's, I mean, he's like 85 
And he and I have been texting back and forth a little bit. I'm going to make him a knife. And he's a super guy, but he says it best. It's like you're when you're cooking for someone, you're showing them love and you're showing them nurturing. You're showing them friendship and you're showing them respect and you're having a drink together or you're, you know, you're laughing together. Our favorite thing now is we make, I make this kind of bastardized version of pho, which is this Vietnamese mm-hmm. soup. And we have like hot fuck, hot sauce and chili garlic sauce and jalapeno peppers. We're all, we make jokes. We start out, we're wearing sweatshirts. And by the end of the night, we're just in t-shirts because we're sweating and <laughs> laughing. And it's, it's become something for us that like, you know, and I'm, we're one of those families that we eat together. Dinner time, we eat together. There's no running. Um, when I was a kid, my, my mom would go in one room and I'd mm. go in the other room. So for us, it's like, it's become a, it's become a very, very important bond. Right. Um, what's going on what's odd is because probably six or seven years ago uh my wife and i went hardcore paleo and so i mean that's the last time i had a drink actually because i stopped drinking because you know beer has wheat in it so which is so right i haven't had a drink since then and so we that's what we did every sunday was meal prep all day long right and we would literally have a menu board and would plan out every day and put it up you know steak with brussels sprouts and whatever else the whole menu for the week was there and it was in a notebook and it showed on that page like where the recipe came from whether it was an app or whether it was a cookbook so planned out the whole week and then whoever got home first could just look at the menu okay and start like you know they would know that that's what we're having so there was no question and it i did enjoy it then and i think it's just after so many years of doing that that i just i don't want to i just want to and then you know and then like anyone else when you get tired and you and you when you get to that point where you're beyond hungry you'll eat anything like you you you, you lose that that mental decision making um that sensible decision making you know that's where a lot of people you know binge eat and and because as soon as you're tired your willpower goes away you lose that every time you need to exercise willpower you get weaker and weaker so you know, the hunger you get and the tired, more tired you are, then you'll just like, oh, frig it. I'll just have a bowl of cereal. I'll just eat this. So, you know, I don't care how bad it is. I'll, I'm just going to eat this for one meal. So, but if you plan ahead, like you do, you know, you plan ahead and you know what's coming and you know what to expect, then it's a lot easier. Um, it's just getting back into that, into that mindset. I mean, we only shop once a week too, you know, cause we just order, I order online from Whole Foods and go pick it up. Like, I don't even like going in the store. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. I mean, there's the service. I wish this was around years ago because you just save an hour and a half from going through the grocery store. Yeah, but Whole Foods got oh, the good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Whole Foods near me is a little smaller. Like they don't have the full variety. But yes, it's it's much better than like, I don't know where, like a shop right or something like, um, right. you know, cause, I like that they nicknamed it Whole Paycheck. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> That's a, that's a great nickname so for Whole true. Foods, Whole Paycheck. Oh, man. Man, you spend some money in there fast. Oh, Super it go, fast. It does, because like when we're, you know, we're buying like almond flour and coconut flour, like to stay away from regular um, wheat and other flour. So, I mean, that stuff is double the price of anything. Yeah, you walk out of there with one bag and it's 150 bucks. You know, like, great, this will <laughs> get me to Monday. So to your diet, what are the things that you you're staying away from? So the, I mean, that's what it is. Like right now it's, it's, it's dairy, it's wheat, grains. Um, not so can seeds. you, you can eat olive yes, oil, right? Yeah. And yes. salt? Yeah. You okay with salt? 
I got to tell you, I think that the biggest problem with American cooks is they don't realize that you don't have to go crazy. Like I make, we make, we make, uh, like we do uh, mushroom omelets is a big thing mm-hmm. for us one night a week. Very French. You, you make an omelet and you get a salad and you don't really need all the, the nonsense. And I saute up mushrooms with onions and garlic and par- par- uh, parsley at the end. And there are certain French styles of cooking where it's, you don't need all the extra yeah. shit. You know, it's, it's just well cooked. Like I, I, I cooked some oyster mushrooms. I seared them like, uh, I seared them and, um, I, we, we just seared them and then with lemon juice, salt, pepper, and some parsley and a little garlic and it was dynamite. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that people don't realize, and I'll, shout out to a good buddy of mine. His name is Elon, uh, no, it's, it's Elon Hall. And he is the first, uh, winner of the first episode of Top Chef. He is an awesome follow on Instagram because he'll do, he'll cook and he'll put it on his stories and then he'll put all the stories in his highlights. And it's all, it's all, it's all like a lot of condiments and it's a lot of like, you know, herbs and, and fresh herbs and stuff. And it's like, it's not as much work as you think it is. Like we have a ton of like tons of condiments in the, in the refrigerator. So you can knock some stuff out and, and just kind of like add a little bit of this, a little contrast here, a little parsley there, a little bit of, you know, something fresh here. And and then you're, you're making more out of something than you think. Yeah. I, it, uh, I know sometimes it's the simplest things that do taste the best and are the easiest. It's just coming up with that three times a day, seven days a week. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it's, I, we used to, I used to, when I was in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, we used to go to a Mexican restaurant. I eat, I eat burritos mm-hmm. every day, you know, but it was like, it killed me. Like it totally yeah. killed me. Like I couldn't get back to work. And I think that, I think that the biggest, the, the most interesting thing about cooking now is because the history of cooking in this in the United States is so different from any other country. I mean, they're the only true um, in, indigenous food to American cuisine is Cajun food. And that's I mean, you go to culinary school. That's what they're going to say. Everything else comes from another mm. place. Uh, and Cajun food is a mix of uh, Creole and in Spanish and French and Acadian, and it's a, it's a big mishmash. But there's no there's no history of of cuisine in the United States. We're really a young country, really. And what happens is is then the, it, once it, there's no there's no tradition of there's no tradition of handing down recipes. Like you go to France, they're gonna cook you. You know, you go to someone's house, they might be able to cook you something that they they've learned you know five generations right. ago. But there was never that in this country. And what happened was was there was just I mean, number one, there was no, there was nothing, and then. They started in the fifties, the forties, and the fifties when 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 um, they were making it easier, and they were after World War II and the, with the baby boom and all these you know fast way you know people had money to burn. They were you know building these you know supermarkets, and you could make these quick to make foods and all this stuff. And there was a, this this totally this 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 loss of any kind of culinary tradition, and that's why you know you fast forward and you see Julia Childs, and then. Jacques Pepin doing these shows on, on channel 13 and they're showing these traditional French techniques that no one had ever seen mm-hmm. before because they weren't going to right. France. And this, the, I remember when I knew one of the cooks from uh, one of the chefs who was one of the original TV show chefs from the food network. When it first came out, I was on basic cable back in the eighties. I mean, it, it exploded and it changed the way people mm-hmm. ate completely changed the way people ate 
to the for the better or the the worse. You know, it's like even now, you know, you, people will are better cooks at home, but there's still the, one of the reasons why we're all so fat is because there was no sense of of, of portions and propriety and 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 how you're supposed to eat and what you're supposed to eat. And we're kind of, I mean, I, I think that most people don't really know how to cook because they never had the ability to learn how to cook because they never reason right. to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm you know? a classic overeater. I will. I mean, I'm not, I'm not fat, but I will just there until there's nothing, that until there's nothing on me. that. I can put it away. Um, you are very thin. You're thin and slight with, with big shoulders. Good looking oh, guy. I'm surprised that you're. I'm surprised that you're saying you're no reader. Yeah, reader. yeah. I, uh, I get a habit of like because I eat too fast and my my, you know, my brain can't keep up with the tell to tell my or my stomach can't keep up to tell my brain, hey, you're done, you're full. I just keep going <laughs> until it's all gone. I think you've watched too much Seinfeld because that's the whole thing with Seinfeld is he never cooks. He only eats cereal. That's right. Mm, or, or only that's all he eats is cereal. It's all he eats is cereal. <laughs> Nobody cooks in that in that on that show. Except well, Kramer, Except for Kramer makes sausages or his sauce. <laughs> Had no shirt well, on. Kramer, Kr- <laughs> I I tell you what, Kramer was so great when the when Kenny Rogers oh. the Kenny Rogers roaster <laughs> episode came out. I'll tell you why that was fucking crazy is because Kenny Rogers, God rest in peace, the gambler, had a fast food chicken place in mm. New York. I don't know if it was anywhere else other than New York, and it was grilled chicken. It was, you know, there was a, a number of grilled chicken places that were popping up all over New York. There was Ranch One. That was oh, a big, yeah, uh, yeah, I remember Ranch One. Remember yes. Ranch One? That was the big on, Howard Stern made Ranch One what was Ranch One. It was a great restaurant, too, chicken, and there was also Chirpin' Chicken and all these bullshit yep. chicken places. And um, Kenny Rogers Roasters came up, and I remember going in and getting an order. And it wasn't fried chicken. I never, growing up, we never ate fried chicken. We never ate fried chicken. I think it was because my dad, I don't my dad, just, we never had fried chicken. I, I didn't have a taste for it, you know? And we get the Kenny Rogers Roasters, and I'm like, this is a fucking good chicken. I couldn't believe how good the chicken was. And I, I seem to remember eating it with somebody and being like, this mother, this fucking chicken is so good. And then they did an episode where Kramer's just like, this fucking chicken is so good. He almost said the exact same thing I said. I was watching this video, and I, was, I was watching this movie, and Kramer's like, Freaking out about the Kenny Rogers Roaster chicken. I was like, that's exactly what I said. Exactly what I said. You remember that? Did you ever have Kenny Rogers Roaster chicken? No, I never ate it. Fucking good. I mean, there were that was the craziest part is when you say it's about New York. Yeah. That was a totally that was this totally moment. I was just like, they're right. They're 100 percent right. It is outstanding. Oh my gosh, I'm dying. I have, I do have a Seinfeld story to tell you. When I was growing up in Manhattan. I went to an all boys school and we hung out with all girls schools and other all boys schools. And actually we used to hang out at this flame famous place in central park called sheep's meadow and sheep's meadow was, uh, in between the east side and the west side of the park. It was closer to the west side. Actually, when you would go into the park, you'd, you'd go, uh, through the entrance, uh, or the side of tavern on the green to get to, uh, the okay. sheep's meadow. And it was where we used to, you know, get weed or whatever. So it was a huge, it, now it's very famous because it was a big open field and people would lie down there. And it's not too far from Strawberry Fields. It's not too far from the Rambles and all that. And um, we used to hang out with these guys from other schools. And, and this one friend of mine that I ended up going to uh, Italy with or spending all time in Italy with, he was dating uh, this girl. I can say her name. You can look at it. You can look it up. Yeah, there's no reason to 
And he was saying to me, he's like, you know what? I'm dating this girl. I'm with this girl. And she's, she wants to see somebody else. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, she's just like not interested. And all, this, all of a sudden this older guy's showing up. It turns out she was dating Jerry Seinfeld. Shut up. She was 17. It's very, I mean, it's very in the, in the, on the internet. I mean, it's very yeah. common. She was 17. He was, I don't know, probably in his late 20s, early 30s. Who knows the hell knows what it was. He got the permission from the parents. And I, oh, well, I mean, I'm under the impression that she turned 18 when they started to date. But it was my, he basically, Seinfeld took my friend's girlfriend away from him. Shoshana, right? Was that her name? There you go. There you go. Shoshana Lonestein. That's right. I was going to say it, but fine. That's correct. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I might have met her a couple times at a party, but the guy who was her boyfriend, it became um, an actor on, I think he was on an episode of Blacklist or something like that. We we lost touch and stuff like that, but it was this crazy situation. We're all thinking about like, we're all like 17, 16, 17, 18. Like, what does this fucking old comedian want to do with this, you know, this right. high school kid? It was this totally bizarre situation. We never saw, I don't think, we, I don't remember if we ever saw him at Sheep's Meadow, but it was this crazy story. And I just remember like, I can't believe this girl would date this, you know, 30 year old guy. And it was like, he had gotten the permission and she was beautiful yeah. and she had, you know, she was just like, you know, she was gorgeous and she still is. But I mean, it was, I just remember thinking to myself, like, like, what's this fucking Seinfeld guy? What is he doing po- poaching, the, poaching the good-looking girls in my high school? Well, well the oh, parents are like, man. oh, well, we got another, we got a rich Jewish guy that want to date our Jewish daughter, so. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't remember. I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I shouldn't. I mean, that's, I, that's what I remember. I mean, the guy and I weren't super friendly, and we actually, we were friendly. I mean, he actually spent uh, a couple of days with him in Florence, and, and uh, he, was a, he was a good dude. He, he let us stay with him. And he's a good kid. And I just remember it being this strange situation where I just couldn't believe that younger women would date older guys. And it was like, turns out to be the first one I met is dating Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> That's a good there one. There you go. That's true. I mean, it was a weird, it was super weird. It was super weird, but you know, God bless him. And with that said, Keith Johnson, KJ Sawdust on Instagram, you have an open invite. You have an open invite. You can come on anytime you want. This was so much fun for me. I felt like it just kind of blew right Sure through. did. Well, you know what? And I, I'm going to check with my boys. I'd like to have you on our podcast. Anytime so you, you want. Bring your, Anytime you your want. Your mega church questions. Let's, let's, let's dig some uh, dirt. Oh, I would love it. Now, let's just do a little plug time. So, obviously, you guys know KJ Sawdust on Instagram. Is it KJ Sawdust on, on YouTube no, as well? it's Keith Johnson Custom Woodworking on uh, YouTube. Definitely give him a check. He's a great, Keith is a great guy. Keith, Keith and I have talked for a long time. He came to Hammer In and you were watching, watching the boys like hitting some steel. And that was a lot of fun. Well, hopefully we'll yeah, do that Yeah, you know, I, I, that was so much fun. And I got to thank you for, for inviting me to that, number one, and like just introducing me to all these people. I mean, you know, Sunset, uh, you know, John Ariani and oh, Cliff yeah. Dufton and all these guys, you know, even Paul Pinto and, and make everything. Even Paul Pinto. Even what I mean Paul Pinto. That is, That's you know, a good Paul, one. <laughs> Paul Pinto, the connection there is he <laughs> he was a student uh, when my, my wife worked at his high school. She was the college counselor at his high school. Really? Yeah, so the guy's like 20 years old and he's, yeah, he's a student at my wife's high school. 
Um, it was which obviously if, if you've listened to their podcast, it's subsequently bought by the Chinese and shut down, but <laughs> gone out of business. <laughs> but <laughs> shout out to the handmade right. podcast uh, on the Make Network. Um, yeah, just the, you know, because I even did a collaboration with with Cliff and John on uh, one of their projects that they were working on. That's right. So it's That's just right. been it's just been great for me, kind of learning meeting these people and then also opening my eyes to, to knife making and all these crazy things. Yeah. When I, I'm, I have no interest in, in um, like having a forge in my workshop or anything like that. But you know, when I was at your shop and, and doing some forging, making some bottle openers and um, oh, when yeah. I was at spring make uh, two years ago in Cleveland, I did that there too. And yeah, it was just, it was just fun. It was, and you make the greatest paella. So how can you go wrong? I do make good paella. East Coast metal guys are good though. I mean, I I, I can't say enough, enough good words about East Coast blacksmiths. Right I'm a, I mean, I'm assuming West Coast blacksmiths are fine, but I just know a lot of East Coast ones, and yeah, I love Jesse them, so. Savage and his and Carrie. I mean, these guys, it's just good, such people. good people. They're all good people. They're all good people. I guess you can't really do a hammering if you're a woodworker. I mean, it must be. We be we would have like situation. just meetups where you'd like. It would be like a pl- a planer a planer in. Everyone's just putting wood through planers. Somebody grab, like grab planers. a plane and make some shavings. Yeah, yeah. yeah just you work. Yeah. You, what you do is you you get together in somebody's shop. You hang out, and then everyone asks questions about your tools, and then you know people drinking. It's it's you know it's still fun because you're hanging out talking woodworking. But yeah, it's not interactive like like a hammer in is. Yeah. Well, the maker community is terrific and I really enjoy, I've enjoyed all the connections I've been making with all the makers and especially you, you know, we get along and we have a couple laughs and this was, this was so much fun for me because it was just like, I honestly, you know, when I I was telling you beforehand, when I do, when I do the full blast podcast, I really spend the week thinking about what I'm going to talk about with my, my, my guests. And I just was reading something about you and you saying, yeah, I really like Seinfeld. And I was thinking about Seinfeld all the time. I'm like, well, Seinfeld's a show about nothing. Maybe this podcast is just going to be nothing. So I really didn't do any preparation whatsoever for this one. So it was perfect. And look at great. that. We got an hour and a half of nothing. There you go. Hour and a half of nothing. Everybody <laughs> go check out the, uh, check out KJ Sawdust on Instagram and go listen to his podcast, Shop Sounds Podcast. It's fun. Those guys are having a good time. And you might learn something. You're not going to learn much here, but you're going to learn yeah, something there. Learn. So go, go. You might learn it. And then next week, guys, we have we're finally getting the first knife maker of the new year. We got Noah Vachon, oh. Canada's finest. Canada's fine. Every every anytime I find someone from someplace I haven't been in a while, I'll say it's they're, they're the <laughs> finest. So, so no, I got Noah Vachon coming up. We're going to have Will Stelter. Uh, Brian house is going to come in at some point. We got P- cat, uh, Pat Quinn. Uh, we got a pile oh. of people. It's great. We're, everything's going well. We're having a good time. Um, and I appreciate the support. If you wouldn't mind going to iTunes and leaving a message or leaving a review, helping you out. And, uh, and, uh, we'll see you next week with Noah Vachon. Thank you. Thanks Keith. for having me. It's great chatting. You're the best. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.